Hi everyone, this is Morgan Phelps with Acuity Brands. Welcome back to the Women in Sustainability Design the Future podcast. We have created this podcast to elevate the voices of women driving sustainable practices in the built environment. We hope you find their stories inspirational and helpful to the work that you do. The hosts for these conversations are industry veterans, Lindsay Baker and Kiara Gold. Let's get started. Hi everyone, thanks so much for joining us again this week on Women in Sustainability Design the Future. This is Lindsay. And this is Kira. And yeah, we're back uh, for another week. It's great to be with you again, Kira, how are you? I'm doing well, um, you know, this is a crazy time we're in. So fielding yeah. a lot of things, trying to read and stay up on all the different influences. I don't know that in my life we've ever been experiencing such a um, range of big things all at once. It's quite, it's both really interesting and a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. I was just writing a friend um, who lives here uh, in our community, who is also very active in the community and has been in like you know overdrive recently yes. on social media and um and i was saying i think where i am right now is like the heartbreak is still really mm -hmm. outweighing the optimism but the but like you know that's sort of how we get through these things <laughs> the, that motivation to um to make a better future than the one that we're struggling with in the present moment um so yeah that's that's right no and i think i think the interesting thing too i mean that's an interesting way of putting it um you know it's it's a number of these things that we're trying to flip into action and get to optimism and get to forward motion um but also be in the right place of listening and learning about each of the things. I mean, there's the pandemic, there's the civil rights uprising and the, you know, the clear, it, it clearly our social contract is broken um, on that front. And that's what's so heartbreaking that you mentioned. I mean, and then we have the climate crisis and, um, and an election <coughs> coming up. <laughs> so there's a lot, it's, you know, there's just a lot, it's a lot to it does feel to me, I mean, I don't think I'm in a place of optimism at all, but I do feel that we're at a moment of great reshaping. Yeah. And if we, if we can think about each of these issues carefully, and for me, that has actually meant a lot less on social, talking on social media and a lot more listening. I mean, I have been reposting things and sharing a little bit, but much less than in a few weeks previous. Um, and trying to solve for life and justice at every turn on all of these issues, all of these four big buckets that are <laughs> kind of overwhelming in their own right, um, then maybe we'll be able to find a way to reshape and design our way forward. Yeah, it's true. It's, I, I was, I felt very thankful for, I, I mean, I, I feel thankful for the time, the unemployment time all, all, all the time, but in particular yesterday, I spent a bunch of time on the website of this program that I, you know, emphatically emailed you about yesterday and we're mm -hmm. hoping we might be able to get um, the women behind the program to come on, but it's this NAACP's program. Um, I'm going to get the name wrong. Uh, Centering equity in the sustainable yeah. building sector, I think is what Yeah. It is. So I think honestly, anyone that listens to our podcast at this point 
will be excited to hear about this program if they haven't found it already. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's really um, pretty stunning work that they've started unsurprisingly coming from a, a woman who came over from the U.S. Green Building Council to the NAACP to, to kind of be the, the engine of the program. I think there's, there's something there about realizing what community you're in and how you wish it would change and then sort of finding a, a way, um, a different angle to uh, yep. approach the question. So, um, but yeah, I just read, I read all day pretty much. Um, just learning about all these different organizations out there. It is, it's very inspiring. It's daunting yes. how long people have been doing this work and just how, uh, how, how much there is room to contribute to it. You know? Yeah. It's, it's exciting. I'm, I'm also happy to say that I moved on from dystopic novels um, <laughs> that are crap. Good. Lindsay, I'm happy to hear this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm now reading um, Braiding Sweetgrass. By Robin. Oh Walsh. right, I've heard of that. I heard that's great. Honestly, I'm just—I mean, I just started, but um, it's such—it's such a good idea right now. You know, you—I think all of us are trying to think about um, ways to change the way that we see ourselves in the world and and find models of uh, more sustainable, more um, equitable. Uh, I don't know how to put it exactly, but it's just—it's just a reminder to me that I grew up in a certain context and that has everything to do with the way that I think about the world and learning about other people that grew up in other contexts, in this case, mm -hmm. indigenous people um, in North America, it, it, um, it really helps you get perspective. For sure. <laughs> Un unlearn, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. To, I just finished, finally finished reading White Fragility. <laughs> that was a, yeah, that's a good one. It make That's a, uh, deep listening effort there. Um, very informative. Yeah, I'm very happy. Um, I, I I really I read that book a few months ago, and and um, I'm really it's been really exciting to me to that this has been a time when I felt very comfortable referring my uh, family members to read that book. I actually um, I, I wanted to, but I didn't do it before. And <laughs> now people are yeah. asking, and so yeah. Uh, like oh that's a that's a good one start with yep. that one yep and I had so many people had recommended the 1619 podcast to me too oh, um, cool. it had been on my list for a really long time and so of course now it popped to the top of my list um, yeah and it's yeah, true. It's we should do a better job of referring people to podcasts because I guess anyone that's listening is probably a podcast, is a podcast person yeah. <laughs> right. cool um, well always on the journey uh, I'm sure we'll have more to say next week. It's just, uh, it's just a consistent new beat of a drum, at least maybe, maybe not new for some of us, maybe just a new emphasis. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here talking with you about it. So absolutely. And I'm really excited for our guest today too. Yeah. Um, yes. Carly Bullock Jones. Welcome Carly. Thank you. Uh, we're so happy to have you here. I've been taking lots of notes um, <laughs> already. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, we, we have a, I feel like our, our, you know, when we started the podcast, it wasn't necessarily like we were going to start every episode talking about, you know, fundamental world shifts and things, but <laughs> it is what it is. It is uh, what it is. So, so yeah, well, 
we're very excited to have you, Carly, for lots and lots of reasons. Um, for folks that aren't familiar with Carly, uh, she is the founder and principal of EcoWorks Studio. Uh, she is a lead fellow. She's on the wealth faculty. She's a lead project reviewer. She's a FitWell ambassador. Uh, I have known her since we worked together. I was at the USGBC. We worked. She worked on the lead for commercial interiors committee. But actually, I think one of the more fascinating things we did together was on this pilot credit working group, which Carly reminded me, and I'd forgotten that, like, I, I just forget about all the different committees sometimes. <laughs> that one, right. honestly, is pretty cool. Maybe we'll get a chance to talk about it because the, the working group, um, this is the lead working group that basically is a gatekeeper for new ideas um, to put into lead. They become pilot credits. And so the working group's job was to sort of say, is this a good fit for lead and 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 more so than anything i think it was this real discussion oftentimes about what effective market transformation looks like how do you incentivize people to change things you know mm -hmm. um, and carly you were always so incredibly thoughtful about that so um i knew you'd be a great person to have on thanks um, well can we also say where carly is too just because We've been yeah. a little heavy on Bay Area folks, and I'd like to point out that she is not in the Bay Area. <laughs> yes, not at all. <laughs> yes, Atlanta, Georgia, my hometown. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, and born in Lawrence, Kansas, my hometown. Born in Lawrence, Kansas, <laughs> yes. Sorry, just had but raised in the there. South. Yeah. Um, there you go. Yeah. So, hey, y'all, I like to say. Indeed. Well, Carly, <laughs> maybe to get us started, you could talk just a little bit about how you got involved in architecture and sustainability, just a little bit about your path. Sure, um, you know, <laughs> my path actually started, my journey, I would say my last year in college, which I'm about to reveal my age a little, but um, <laughs> this was back in 1999, uh, which was like 10 years ago, right? Um, <laughs> and after several years of you know school, it was time to focus on um, my thesis project and um, I don't remember any of my professors ever using the words green or sustainable or anything like that but I think after years of working I guess as a student under I had the you know privilege of working under several um, really great professors that I think simply instilled those types of principles um, in my work. And so when it was time to do my thesis, I, this sounds very um, simple today, but given that it was 1999, my thesis statement was simply the built environment has an impact on the natural environment. And I had no idea sort of what I was getting into then. Um, and I remember, you know, doing research and as a somewhat sidebar, Gail Lindsay was one of those that I had researched. There, there wasn't a, you know, a ton of information in terms of, you know, you couldn't just Google the word sustainability or green architecture or anything and, and find a lot of information out there. But Gail was one of those that I had researched her work. And I remember years later running into her of all places, like at a, in the restroom of at a green build conference and thinking <laughs> I had run into like a celebrity. I was like, Oh, I remember like reading about you and studying about you and you informed my thesis and how, approachable and kind she was just at that moment in the restroom right at the sink and that that left an impression on me but it really started 
with that my very last year of school and that thesis statement and went on to renovate essentially you know an existing building and all the principles that I had sort of gathered in my research um, into my final project before graduation and I had no idea where it would take me but I then took a job with a firm here in Atlanta um, they were known at the time as TBS, that was Thompson Ventrelet Stainback, not to be confused in Atlanta with TBS, Turner Broadcasting System, but um, at that time, I helped form a, an intern or an in-house committee uh, focused on sustainability uh, because it was sort of fresh on my mind as a young student, first job out of college. And we were simply doing things internally with other architects designers to talk about ways that we could you know be more sustainable on our projects and mm -hmm. that happened to also be the, the same year that lead was officially brought out of pilot and launched into the market so there were a handful of us in this committee that would you know sort of over working lunches you know get together and look at each section of lead and begin to educate ourselves a little bit more and then further with the rest of our colleagues and I think it was around 2000, 2001, you know, right around there that we had two clients approach us. Uh, one was a government client, happened to be the CDC. The other was a higher education client, which happened to be Georgia Tech. And both approached us saying, you know, you're, you're doing this project for us, but we also want to get it LEED certified. So suddenly I had a few, at a very young age, I had a few you know, principals at the firm that came to me and said, you seem to talk about this kind of stuff at lunch <laughs> in, in these committee meetings. Would you be interested in working on one or both of these projects? And I simply you know, jumped in with both feet and said, absolutely. And it, and it really kind of snowballed from there. Um, so I, I really attribute a lot of where I am today, honestly, just back to those teachers and mentors. And I think that's perhaps one of the reasons that teaching and education has been such a focus and important for me. Like, like I mentioned, you know, running into Gail Lindsay and how approachable she was and that really left an impression and how you treat others in terms of, you know, their curiosity and their interest and mm -hmm. that energy that they have at a very young age. So yeah, that's, that's sort of where I got yeah. started. That's lovely. Carly, um, I'm so happy you mentioned Gail and that you had mm, that interaction. I hadn't thought about her. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and she really was an incredibly welcoming person mm -hmm. into the movement. I think for so many people, I've often wondered if it would be possible to kind of track the people she touched over her career. Right. Um, right. Just because, um, I mean, I had fairly brief encounters with her and she's just amazing. She was just mm -hmm. incredible force mm -hmm. of nature. Um, yes. But I'm curious, so I know that, you know, at, at a certain point, you made a decision to start your own firm. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you decided to do that. What were your motivations? Sure. Um, so at that time, I was still working for TBS. It was a great firm. They had offices, you know, in Atlanta. Um, I think they had grown over the years that I had been there. Um, Dubai, Chicago, it was, you know, getting uh, very large. And while the firm was committed to sustainability, um, I think over time I, I was getting, you know, to that point where I'm sure a lot of people have felt this way. You want everybody in the firm 100% on board, right? And and 
what I realize now, of course, looking back is uh, even the great firms that are out there today in, ter in, in terms of being leaders in sustainability, and I don't even need to name any of them, even within their own walls, I know that not everybody is 100%, and that's just what you sort of wish and want and you, you strive for. And I think I was getting to the point I, I really wanted to work with and begin to surround myself with, you know, the grass always seemed greener, if, if that's a, a good way to say it, right? <laughs> like, um, there were days where I just felt like I was, you know, pushing this boulder up the hill, and then some days it would just roll back over on me, and, and you just get back up and keep pushing. But I really, I, I kind of just wanted to, I was like, I want 100% of people on board, and maybe it's time. So I had sort of started thinking about that, and I think... At the same time, I was struggling a little bit, frankly, with um, what at that time probably most architecture and interior design firms were struggling with and in, in, in that the upper leadership at the firm was predominantly white men. And I started kind of wondering to myself, like, is, is this where I see myself in another 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. um, it is that boulder I was just describing, not only in terms of sustainability, but as a, as a female. I'm happy to say really quickly, though, that, that TBS now, um, there was nothing wrong with those guys. I had great mentors and things, but they actually now have a female president, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. And they're actually one of my clients now. <laughs> so, but my alma mater, Auburn, called um, one summer to see when I was having these feelings of like struggling and, you know, I'm, exhausted I want everybody I'm cheerleading but you know it's tiring some days and very corporate all of those and then Auburn called to see if I would teach for the summer and it just felt like the right time so I'm not sure I would recommend everybody just take a leap of faith to start their own business but it just seemed like everything was converging it was the right time it was the sweet spot to jump That's and so great. I did but that was in 2007 and then many of you remember what happened with the economy in 2008. <laughs> yeah, great, great timing. Yeah. So I'm still here. Uh, we're 17 today, so we're, we're still uh, around. But yeah, I, I had to keep my head above water for a little while there at the, in the beginning, for sure. Right. Wow. Can you, yeah. Can you say a little bit about your business model and your clients? Like what, how, how are you structured and what do you guys do exactly for whom? Sure. Um, well, primarily um, any sort of green building certification is, um, you know, what we have been doing for many, many years. And most of those are um, under the umbrella of, you know, USGBC uh, or IWBI or ILFI. So green building certifications in general, but of, um, within that, I would say we also do commissioning, um, energy modeling. We are headquartered here in Atlanta, but there are actually only 10 of us physically here. The other are fully remote and have, um, we have staff just all over the U.S. Um, so yeah, if that gives you a little idea of what we do. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about some of your clients? Oh, sure. Um, gosh. Having worked, you know, on lead since for the last, I guess, you know, 20 years, started around office, but I would say we really excel and uh, thrive at atypical project types. So 
we have worked on everything from office to zoological type facilities to data centers to sports facilities so you name it um we still have a lot of repeat business with clients which i'm um, proud of so all of those i would say yeah and so one of the ones one of the ones you know i want to talk about um, <laughs> because it's the most recent opportunity i got to to um walk with you in a project um, is stadiums uh, and for sports facilities, I guess is sort of the bigger category. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you started getting work, how you started working on them and, and what yes. that is like for you right now? I, I get that question a lot. How did, how did you get into this? So in t I think it was around 2013 or 2014. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons uh, announced that they were building a new stadium. And of course, everybody was watching that and reading about it in the papers, myself included. And I would say, keep in mind that at that point, uh, EcoWorks Studio was a two-person firm, me and, and one other person. And she is still actually with us today. So that's great. And when the firm that actually won the job, the architecture firm that won the job was announced, it was a Kansas City firm. And... I have never done this, but I literally cold called them. Wow. Um, as a two person firm, my, even my husband was like, it's probably, probably a long shot, but yeah, like go for it. <laughs> we don't have a big marketing department or anything. And I literally cold called and, and I think emailed a couple of the key people that I found on their website and just said, look, I, I've never done a sports project. I'm a small firm, but here's what, why I think, you know, I, I can offer. And we're boots on the ground here in Atlanta. We are small, so we don't have a lot of like overhead and you know crazy billing to, to you know overcome and things like that. I'm a woman-owned business. I've worked on lead at that time for 15 years. Again, we're we're really in our sweet spot, and we excel at atypical project types. And um, we want to we want to do this with you. Um, I think I also pulled. Kira, to your part, uh, point like the the Rock Shock Jayhawk being a Kansas City firm, I was like, well, I've got I've got <laughs> some background with Kansas City. Anything to help them remember, like remember us, if that was a way mm -hmm. to say it. And although I'd never done a sports project, what I had worked on previously when I was at TBS, the firm, their bread and butter at that time was convention centers. And so what I said was, I, I understand highly complex projects with multiple professionals and consultants and design teams across multiple time zones and different areas and backgrounds. And I think I understand facilities that have, let's say, 200 people on a daily basis, but then thousands of people that come in like for a convention or a conference. And I can relate that to a sports facility. And so uh, to my surprise, they um, furthered the conversation. Uh, they called back. They did several interviews of um, other sustainability firms, and um, we won the job. And okay. I'm proud to say, I guess, that we continued our work with them and other firms. And that's included even university athletic facilities and um, all the major leagues. We've worked on facilities from, obviously, the NFL, um, MLS, NHL, NBA, and this year we are wrapping up a, a MLB project that we hope to announce soon. So yeah, it's so cool. I, <laughs> I um, I actually, 
I didn't really think I was going to get into the building industry when I was a kid, like I was mm-hmm. one of those kids that played with Legos, but my brother was, and he uh, specifically wanted to, to build stadiums. Like he, I remember very distinctly mm-hmm. the gigantic clay model that he made of um, what was then the new Braves stadium. And mm-hmm. uh, it was, I just remember having so many thoughts about like how does how do people get those jobs you know it was totally um totally fascinating to me mm-hmm. uh, and he did not end up becoming an architect in any way <laughs> so I've always kind of laughed at the degree sports fan now mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah yeah huge sports <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so I want to ask a little more about this I I just find it um, I always find it interesting the different types of sustainability issues you face in different building types, but mm-hmm. sports facilities in particular, I have very little sense of. So can you tell us a little bit about what what unique challenges you have working with sports facilities? Oh, sure. Um, first, I think, you know, on the Falcon Stadium, that being our first sports-related project, one of the things we asked ourselves is why aren't there more, if we're pursuing lead here, but why aren't there more lead platinum projects? And I think what we found is perhaps that was because, you know, lead was not necessarily molded for a very atypical, like a sports facility or a, it's not to say that you couldn't, but I think there were some challenges inherently there that it's not a 24 or let me say it's not a nine to five, like office environment. Mm-hmm. You have, multiple types of events any given day, like from high school graduations to the final four and the Super Bowl, right? So benchmarking sports projects in terms of like energy and water data is a challenge and and was a challenge. So the good news is I think with this type of client is that they're very competitive in nature. And I think we can use that as as a good, as a change for good, maybe, or an advantageous, um, meaning many of them want to do something that's never been done. Uh, they're very bold. Um, they're very thoughtful about, you know, their next steps. It's almost like mapping out a game and how you're going to win the game in, in a mindset. So they're very competitive, but they're very open, um, is what we found. Um, and I think what's very unique about working in, in the sports industry is what you'll find is that most people, even the, today, this is pertinent, most people perhaps won't listen to science or the facts or data that is out, that's available, but they will listen to sports. And it's, it's a platform, I think, that reaches and has such a, an impact beyond the walls of the building because you are coming into contact with a lot of fans and people who experience the building. So whether they physically see small things like recycling, um, whether they're made aware through education um, about the air quality in the space or so forth and so on, it has an impact. I think what can be a challenge for the architects on the project is that they are hired to, to build a building. But most of these types of you know pro sports facilities are located in you know, urban environments, perhaps um, next to neighborhoods that have been neglected. And so suddenly the scope of work begins to kind of like I was just describing, fall outside the walls of the building. And that's not always what the architect was hired to do, right? Like 
community engagement and things mm -hmm. like that. But inherently, that, that is something that they have to take on and address and get stakeholder feedback early and um, throughout the whole process. So that can be challenging, but also very rewarding, of course, um, if it's done well. That's really fascinating, Carly. One of the things that all of this reminds me of is this idea of, of architecture as pedagogy, which is a, a piece that my, my former undergraduate advisor used, David Orr, to talk about the power of buildings. Um, and in, in particular, he was talking about sustainability. Um, and I can totally see how a, a well-designed educational sort of uh, experience within a sports facility could you know, whether actively or more passively get people accustomed to the importance of this type of work in a way that, you know, seeing Al Gore with a bunch of uh, graphs and a video. Right, right. <laughs> well, accomplish. if I could just say, you know, I was reading just yesterday, um, obviously, our, you know, our firm and like many others are having discussions and I may, I may be departing a little here, um, but, you know, around Black Lives Matter and I was reading what the public's perception of who should be sort of the figurehead or the um, leader of that movement. And one of the three founders came in second as noted, you know, people would like to see as, you know, the, um, the face of this movement, so to speak. And, but overwhelmingly, uh, many people said Colin uh, Kepernick should, should actually lead that. And again, once again, it's like sports. Uh, so from, you know, the building to the fan engagement to the actual players that youth look up to, they have such a powerful full voice. Um, just like we were saying, like, sometimes it's boring to hear the facts, but if you put those facts uh, with, with an athlete, perhaps um, people perk up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many aspects of that I feel like that are worth it, it is it's, it's inspiring. And I, I hope also that that work of engaging with the community you were talking about, you know, sort of in many of your projects, the community engagement becomes a part of it. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it just feels like there's a lot of potential when you're working on sports facilities for there to be um, advantages for the community that can come out of it it's just a matter of you know not just but it's a matter of structuring it well and and yeah on some of these projects we've had the opportunity to utilize a lot of the land and the space for you know um, urban gardens and things rather than just you know green space that might not be um, utilized or only for tailgating or something Thing like that and <laughs> I found those as a, a way to connect with the local school system to manage the garden or the neighborhood next door to again you know utilize some of the food to teach children about nutrition um, all of those things but you so do manage really... to make sure people don't tailgate in the urban garden right <laughs> yes. But, yes yeah okay that's good that's, that's design challenges there <laughs> yes. um, well, so, so I'm sure everyone is curious also to understand how it's, what you think is going to happen now, given the pandemic and sports facilities. Are you talking mm -hmm. about that with clients? Is it coming up? Is it, um, I mean, obviously everyone is nervous, but what specifically is on your mind? Oh, gosh, yes. Um, I was just having some um, discussions about this this morning with clients. They're 
they're very anxious, of course, to get people comfortable and physically back into the facilities. But, and, and many of them believe that sports will be one of the biggest unifiers after this pandemic or to get us through maybe the second half of this pandemic, whether we are physically together at a sporting event or just collectively together listening and watching perhaps a sporting event around the world, um, that it will be a, a, a big unifying factor to feel connected. But it's definitely the days of, um, I think, soda machines and, you know, free refills and um, buffet style, you know, food and things like that are, are definitely being changed as we speak. T you know, uh, touchless, key, uh, cashless, all of that is uh, at the forefront of their minds right now. Um, so we, we were actually just discussing the new, it was launched yesterday, you may have seen the new health um, safety rating that the International Wellbuilding Institute launched. So we yeah. were discussing some of that in particular around sports um, just this morning. So that was officially announced yesterday and they're moving quickly on that. I think one of the challenges will be if this is, you know, as many think uh, an airborne virus, then it's not, it, it's easier to change a buffet style to um, just operationally, but it's not so easy to change your HVAC system. And so I think there's going to be some infrastructure challenges potentially with some of the facilities. Yeah, I guess. It's different if you have an outdoor baseball stadium versus an indoor um, basketball arena. Right. Right. Oh, good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's just so so many stages for figuring this out. Um, but yeah, speaking of uh, I in International Well Building Institute, I'm so used to doing the acronym. But yeah, <laughs> speaking of that community, IWBI. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just curious if you want to mention a little bit of what um, what you've been doing with the Well Building Standard and how you think that's uh, how you think that's been going mm -hmm. uh, that kind of thing sure uh, we were actually introduced to well in 2014 um, working in the sports sector and when it was a pilot and at the time the client um, wanted to you know proceed with their first goal which was getting lead platinum and it just wasn't the right time um, but I very much, you know, kept in touch with um, all the folks at IWBI and just said, you know, look, a, a lot of what you've got here in the standard really resonates with me personally and, and professionally. I think it's something we want to keep in touch about. And so we've been fortunate to work on um, several well-certified projects to date. And uh, I think about eight is what we've done now in the time that it's been out. And we've been really focused on um you know we've implemented policies for well but we've been really focused with our clients on okay so we've implemented this policy how are we really going to get your folks to use it are they using it how can we incentivize them to use it just because you give gym memberships or you know these healthy benefits a lot of other research we've been doing uh, we find out that you know many employees might be aware of the benefit but they're not really incentivized to use it. So that's been sort of our next journey is really taking the, you know, having a policy is one thing, but taking that and really engaging people. Um, so yeah, we've, we've kind of 
been working with uh, well from the beginning and helped shape that and are, are really lucky to be, like I said, working on that today in terms of sports and um, in this pandemic. But I think a lot of what we talk about is like, you know, the athletes are, you know, train like the athlete, eat like the athlete, a lot of things that we serve in these stadiums, uh, food wise, some of the athletes probably wouldn't eat, you know, the nachos and things like that. So it's, it's warranted some bigger um, discussions. It's been interesting. I, I, I just want to put at least a vote in for ballpark nachos being available. You still want the nachos, yeah. I really do love that. It's okay. Like, <laughs> I, I often say a lot of what we talk about here is not trying to be prohibitive, but a little more about helping you make, you know, or, or having opportunities and choices, right? Um, and everything in moderation. But, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, we, we've been working a little bit behind the scenes on one of the first, uh, what we hope to be the first well sports project that we hope to announce pretty pretty soon. That's great. Um, and that client was really interested in, the, the discussion there started simply around lighting in the locker room and how lighting affects the athlete, uh, can affect you know them positively. You know, So we really started around discussions of like, could you, you know, ramp up the lighting before a game, before the players hit the field to impact, you know, performance. And then what happens after the game? Do you have celebratory lighting? Do you have meditative lighting? All of those things um, to help them prepare. That's so interesting. Carly, I'm really fascinated by, um, you've sort of had this long exposure to a number of different certifications. I mean, you're sort of, you've been kind of in on the whole market transformation arc, um, which makes me want to know a little bit about, too, whether you see yourself as part of a movement, um, and if so, or, or m what makes you feel that way, really, or not? Um, um, I'm, I certainly think I'm a part of a movement. It's um, been a longer movement, maybe, than I, <laughs> I, I would, when I began my career. Um, if you asked me, you know, where I'd be 20 years later. Um, I think for a while there we thought, oh, you know, I'm just working myself out of a job. This is all going to become standard practice. Um, <laughs> and while some things have, uh, the work's never quite done, right? It, it probably goes back to, again, me thinking grass is greener. Everybody's doing this over at this big firm and, you know, not everybody's on board, but, um, and so I wish we were a little further along, but, you know, um, I, I do think I'm still part of the movement. Um, it, it is funny to hit 2020 and think about, I personally think about Ed Masria and his 2030 challenge back in like 2005 when we were talking about like what we could accomplish by 2020. And then 2020 came around, you know, in January, let's just say before the pandemic and everybody kind of moved their, um, in, uh, let me say finish line since we've been talking about sports, right? But they moved their finish line to 2030 now, like 2040, like they pushed it out a little bit more. So I definitely, in the same lens, try to, uh, if, if you want to make change by, you know, another 10 years, why don't we just set it for five? <laughs> and then it, we um, try to really turn up the heat and and make some more impactful changes sooner instead of because I think that's what's happened is those milestones come very quickly and, and then we just kind of move the bar. Right. 
what do you think the the sort of major areas of progress or on the other on the flip side the major the areas where there's been maybe less progress what what's working and what's what needs attention from your perspective gosh i do think i do think certifications work because they have you know at a municipal level or a local level um incentivized green building right and so i think there are many many aspects of things like LEED and, and WELL and other green building rating systems that have been effective um, at just kind of like we were saying, just make, making a code compliant building a, a green building. But I do think we've got, you know, this pandemic that we are in has given us a moment to reflect whether it's me, you know, I know that having connections to the outdoors is important, but now I'm, I really know because I can go out to my backyard during this pandemic. Um, so it's given us a, a moment, I would say, to pause and take a collective breath about what's really has been working and what hasn't. We've all seen kind of the the jokes of, you know, Mother Nature asking us to to take a take a breath, and we're like, oh, we're too busy to do that, and then she's <laughs> like, well, here's a pandemic, figure it out, right? Um, so it's what you and Kira and Lindsay, you you were both talking about at the beginning of. Um, Maybe we don't go back to some normal things. Maybe there's some things that we want to do differently. And I'm hopeful that we're going to find some silver linings from this experience, that 2020 is not all for naught, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that, that certainly seems to be the mood that everyone is in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope uh, that you find some of, those, mm-hmm. some of those new things and some of those inspirations. You have to, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I sort of told you both I've kept my sense of humor, but uh, you have to chin up onward, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, that is a probably a good um, prompt for our last question for you, which is uh, who you're inspired by these days. Anyone, however broad you want to take the question, but uh, <laughs> tell, tell us what, how, how you're, uh, who you look to. Um, gosh, you know, I often try to tell myself I need to channel my inner Greta. Um, I yeah. would say, in, in, <laughs> like when I maybe shy away from something, I think of the younger generation and these activists that are really raising their voices for good, drawing attention to environmental issues and um, gun violence and social injustice. They're they're fearless um, and and bold, and perhaps that we should all take note of that. Um, I, you know, I do reflect on even some of my professors, you've, you've all heard throughout your lives, the same saying of, you know, ask forgiveness later, basically. What is the, oh, uh, oh, so yes, my, you know, professors would say like, don't ask permission, you know, just ask forgiveness later. And, um, I think that's what we're doing now, even as a company. So I would say I most definitely have been inspired by my colleagues lately, um, my team here at EcoWorks, particularly given this pandemic and the compassion and empathy and the drive that they've all continued to have during this time. Uh, everybody has their own stress levels and things like that, but um, they, they definitely inspire me every day. So we're just trying to, yeah, look forward. 
and utilize why we got all into you know this business in the first place and utilize this platform for positive change mm-hmm. and how even in particular you know black lives matter how that is at the intersection of why you can't talk about that without talking about being an environmentalist so we're trying to have some honest and courageous conversations now that's awesome that's good (laughs) (laughs) thank you for being a leader that is facilitating that type of conversation and in within your firm and and for for being with us and talking to us about all of it today oh well thank you i I think hoping something's going to change is what got us to where we are now whether yeah and so being a little more active yeah 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 absolutely yeah i i um i remember when i first met my partner and we were sort of talking about some of these issues with how the world functions uh we said we shared this sense about each other that there was this uh that sometimes uh the optimists are the ones that look uh sad more often mm-hmm. you know in a, on a daily basis mm-hmm. but it's really that um inner sense that that things can get better <laughs> you know that that um you know i think a lot i recognize that in so many people in our community that sense um that you know no matter how uh much we may be struggling to make progress it's we believe that the future is going to be better it's Mm -hmm. a it's a faith almost um so yeah well um thank you thank you for having me yeah absolutely uh all right well that is it for us this week on women and sustainability design the future thanks again to acuity for hosting and to you all our listeners Please leave us a review on Apple. It really matters and it helps people find us. Stay safe and we'll see you next week.